podcast that celebrates badass women in food. I'm your host, Starlene Wienheisen, owner and digital creator over at PickleJarStudios.com. And today I'm here with Whitney and Jess Keatman, owners of Sparrow Bakery in Bend, Oregon. Whitney and Jess, welcome to Tough Cookie. Hi. Hey there. Thank you. So I'm really excited to have you guys here. You're kind of a little bit of a legend in Bend. (laughs) Um, When I first moved here, people were telling me all about Sparrow Bakery and all about your ocean roll and how much I had to have one and try it or else I wasn't like really a local yet. (laughs) So um, I wanted to hear how you guys got started and kind of your journey from, um, you know, to owning a bakery. How did, what did that look like for you? Sure. Um, Well, uh, this is Whitney and we started um, the bakery in 2006. Um, after working in Bend at a few different bakeries, actually the original Sparrow Bakery at Scott Street was uh, a wholesale bakery called Blue Sparrow Baking. And I was one of the bakers there. And when I left, I told the owner, if you ever want to sell this or sell the equipment, give me a call. And within six months, she was pregnant and she called me and I bought her equipment. And um, I had a different vision for what the bakery was gonna be. I have more uh, of a French baking background and Mm. she had more of an East Coast American, like classic crumb cake, brown butter muffins, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, We transferred over some of the recipes, the bagel recipe, um, the banana bread recipe. And, uh, and so that was the, the beginning of Sparrow Bakery. We just changed the name a little bit to give a little nod to history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the, I mean, in that first year, we were just in the front half of our um, original location down on Scott Street. It's about 500 square feet. Um, it was tight, but we weren't that busy. It took a really long time for people to find us. And they would come in and they would say, gosh, what an odd location, you know, what are you guys <laughs> doing over here? And um, and we just had to kind of grin and bear it. And our, our plan at that point in time, we had no money and nothing. And our plan was to just make food and, and um, baked, baked products that were so exceptional mm-hmm. and to give people such an exceptional experience that the word of mouth would get out. And back then, back in 2006, the food scene was still so kind of it, a lot of a lot of the restaurants were, you know, kind of from the past, kind of dated. And there wasn't a whole lot in Bend yet that was really on, you know, the, the cutting edge of the sort of the newer food scene. And it it didn't take long for for the buzz to get going. I mean, we just I mean, we would work. We were just working. 14 to 17 hours a day, (laughs) six to seven days a week for, I thought it was only going to last a year, but it really, it took two years of that, that just undying commitment, um, to showing Bend what we could do. And, and around two years is when we start to make some money and start to get some accolades and, and, um, we never advertised. It was just 110% word of mouth. Wow. And, and then we, 
and then we were able to start doing things with working capital and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But that's, that was the inception of, of Sparrow, I guess. And yeah. Um, so was there any, there wasn't like social media really happening quite yet either. It was a different world. Yeah. yeah. So 2000, uh, first iPhone came out in 2008, I think. Yeah. Um, so no, social media wasn't a thing. So if we wanted to advertise, it was a print advertisement in the source or the bulletin, mm-hmm. which was expensive and we weren't particularly interested. We, we were all about like grassroots, like poster campaigns mm-hmm. where we would like print posters on our home computer and like staple them all over town saying like, come see this rad art show at the Sparrow Bakery and mm, you know, free yeah. food, free booze, blah, 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 come, you know. And that, I mean, that is what people do now, but just via Instagram. And it's way, way more um, effective than posters. But people did show up, you know, and it was. um, But yeah, we did. We started in the area era before social media. And um, and it 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 sure does take longer, I think, to get people talking about a business um, Mm -hmm. in that sense. So you have to be on your toes and on point all the time. You know, mm-hmm. um, and really, in my opinion, you know, that that's that's what you got to do to make it work. So at what point did you open a second location? Uh, yeah, so we um, so Scott Street, for anybody who knows, is really small. Mm-hmm. And um, as we grew, we realized that four tables is just not cutting it. Mm-hmm. And um we, we talked a lot about finding one large location, but every time the argument for us was we just can't leave that location. There's so much value and, you know, so many of the original customers feel, you know, the special um, energy coming in there. Mm-hmm. And so we then decided we needed a second location. And so... Um, we had some help, um, in Northwest crossings from a friend and the opportunity actually happened. And so for wit, it felt really important to be in a neighborhood mm-hmm. and a lot of our clientele is in Northwest crossings. So it just started to feel like the right decision. And, um, we planned for wit to have the babies, the twins, before we opened up our second location in Northwest Crossings. But were um, you pregnant at this point in time? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was. So it was 2014. 14. So I was pregnant for the better part of 2014. That's when we were working on the project to open up Northwest Crossings location. So that that project um, went late, as projects often do, and the boys came a month early. So they were born, um, (laughs) they were born uh, two weeks after we opened in 2014. And it was, um, it was, it was a really intense time for us. I mean, we knew, we, we knew enough about business to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but the, the, like, um, the following maybe eight or nine months were some of the most difficult months for us business-wise just trying mm-hmm. to keep that all together and mm-hmm. our kids were born premature they they had health issues and so it uh it was complicated oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. um for and a while were, yeah. and <clears throat> were you kind of like the like 
dealing with that a little bit? And then were you dealing with the business or was it just everyone all in there together? Yeah. I think we went back to work after three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Both of us. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we had to put a lot of trust in a brand new staff, which was really hard because, of course, everybody tried really hard, but um, without Wit and I in there showing them our values, our goals, right. how we want to represent, um, it was really hard. And so I think that we... Yeah, we, we, we probably lost some business. We might have upset some customers and um, we just weren't excelling how we would like to. And so sadly for the boys, we had to push and figure out how to be in the workplace. Um, and we needed a lot of help with the boys. Um, and eventually after a year of really hard work, um, I think we changed um, people's opinion on that space and show them you can't believe in us and this is special like the original location and the boys you know are great and thriving <laughs> now um and hopefully we'll never know or remember <laughs> yeah because they're so small no. um yeah, you know exactly. and it was hard in certain moments we chose our family because we had to um and then in certain moments we chose the business because they just needed us yeah and yeah. so it felt good to do our best and honestly I mean we'd probably do it again if we had to Mm -hmm. you know I think that we've been through a lot of struggles and we were ready for a lot of challenge ahead of us (laughs) so it's good we learned a lot um in our relationship in the business new mothers oh yeah that's so that's that's so much to happen all at one time especially with twins that's amazing like yeah I just think that shows a lot of strength also to be able to say that at times you needed to put the business first because that was what was actually best yeah for you and for your family because that is your your passion your livelihood your futures you know yeah um I I think that's great like yeah you know thanks sometimes putting your family first means putting your business first yep, totally. <laughs> yeah if like you wanted to be your whole career you yeah know, we couldn't just give up on it and yeah um but it was. It was a challenging time, and I'm happy it's in the past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you were looking at the new location, and I know you've done some other um, design builds for new production facilities and things like that, what is that process like? What is, I mean, what is that um, that planning and that design part look like? I Well, I personally love the design part. I mean, we we've... We've had so many remodels in the original location, and we have had multiple production facilities at this point, um, because every time we move into one, we outgrow it. (laughs) And I love designing kitchens, and I feel like I get better at it each time. Um, And I feel like I'm finally kind of hitting my groove with, with that part of things about with the functionality and the efficiency and, and the beauty, um, not a lot of people have ever been into one of our production spaces or one of our kitchens, but um, the 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 way it feels in there is really important to us. And we have to work there too, but um, we want our people to be able to work in a special space, um, you know, light-filled, um, beautiful space. So that is one of my favorite, it's one of my job descriptions, is one of my favorite parts of the job, but the actual build out is always sort of stressful and mm-hmm. um, 
I mean, Jess could talk to this a little bit, but we're often standing up for ourselves to contractors and um, subcontractors and things like that. Um, probably because we're women. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting in the beginning and the planning, it feels really good and they hear your vision and, you know, okay, great, we'll do this and that. And then when it comes to some actual um, details or specifics, they they tend to tell us what they think as if we don't know. And so one problem we had with the Northwest Crossings location is we were really worried about the floor in the kitchen um, because if there's water on the ground or flour on the ground, it can be really slippery. And we've mm-hmm. had a lot of experiences with slippery floors. Mm-hmm. And um, we told them whatever it is, you know, we would like some opinion, but whatever it is, it has to be safe for flour and water on the ground. And sadly, um, they they sold us on this floor and it was so slippery. Mm. It, it was it was so slippery. People were were falling. And I was and, eight months pregnant. Yeah. Oh my god. You know. Yeah. And no. There's, I never fell. Yeah. You know. Um. And and then to that level in the dining room, there was fear of a customer slipping and falling. Okay. And it was the same throughout. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. we we had to to call the builders and say, hey, sorry, but this is not working. And so they um they added some texture basically the sand um into the kitchen in all the areas because mats are down always but there's always spots where you can't have a mat right and it's helpful but in that moment you know back in that talking i think that if our word and you know our you know experience would have been valued i feel like we would have had a better floor all the way through um but in that sense, they thought they knew better, which mm-hmm. is hard because in that moment, what were we, nine years old? We had nine years of experience and it just it felt, you know, like, oh, no, girl, don't worry, we got you. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, and I, and I think that that's exactly the problem. The problem is, is that, yeah, we don't know a whole lot about construction, although we've been through a few projects. Um, but we know a lot about food service and, and, and the functionality and, and what we need and how we need it. And often more so than the contractors we're working with, because we're usually working with commercial contractors, but restaurants don't come around all that often and particularly bakeries that have their own specific needs. But I think, you know, I think that they look at us and they, and we are young. I mean, I, I opened this a week after my 24th birthday. <laughs> 2006 yeah. so you know they look at us and they they do they kind of um skim over you know our knowledge base and um and don't necessarily give that a lot of credit but so i think that when it comes to these projects we have to speak up a little bit louder and be a little bit more firm mm-hmm. um and i think that the confidence is is starting to be there for us and so these projects tend to go a little bit smoother as time goes on um because we are having more confidence in in, in what we know and what we and more specifically what we want yeah um but we're not 55 year old loud pushy <laughs> men you know that are you that you know that that easily get their way because that's you know how they do business right um, and that's often i think what contractors are used to working with so um 
so, you know, it's just one of those things um, where, you know, all all's fine and dandy and we get along really well with these guys and we shake their hands and all that. But um, you got to just be paying very close attention to what is being done in your space and making sure that you're not going to have to redo it and pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever find that there was one thing that was sort of agreed to and hands were shook or whatever and then they'd be working the next day and it was not <laughs> what you would agree to. Probably too many things to yeah. remember. Yeah. I don't know. You know, something specific doesn't come to mind um, right off the bat. But um, when you're doing a build like that, do you need to be like on site every day? Kind of. Did you feel like you needed to be sort of like checking? Yeah. You know, them? not every day, but I think that, um, you know, you kind of you put some trust in, in the main guy and he's controlling all of the subcontractors and then you'll show up and you'll be like, oh. Um, and then you kind of feel, you know, like a bitch um, because you, you say, hey, I thought we talked about this and, you know, I'm not trying to be crazy, but, uh, you know, I thought we agreed upon this. And, you know, for the most part, if, you know, they... <laughs> for the most part they they would you know find a resolution with us um but it was hard because i feel like in the past times you you have to really hound them and show them that you have a voice and you need to be heard and it's just too bad that you have to put so much of your time and energy into that Mm -hmm. and it can't just be said okay got it and then they're on to the next project and so that was hard for me because I felt like I had to become this person I wasn't and and calling and you know I I don't want to necessarily make an ultimatum but why do I have to do this you know do I really have to prove to you that this is a thing and so that was hard for me because I just wanted respect in that sense and it took a lot of energy to get that Mm -hmm. but that's okay (laughs) <laughs> you got it. In yeah. The end. Um, did you ever have to fire a contractor? No. No. We fired a lot of people. Yeah. But never a contractor. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know we just we tried to keep investing in that relationship um, since relationships are very special to us. Uh, we just. You know, we tried to make it work. And, you know, for the most part, they they all did well in the end. Um, I think it's just hard finding that balance of what they're good at and our vision and mm-hmm. how, to, how to get there. Do you work with the same <clears throat> contractor per project? It's different for every yeah. project. Yeah, always yeah. different. Because usually the owner of the building um, chooses the contractor. Oh, right. Um, not necessarily us, um, yeah. especially if it's like a, um, a TI um, project or something like that. So okay. uh, it's, it's usually different companies. Um, we might get to work with SunWest Builders again. We really did like working yeah, with they them. Did. They, they were did very really professional. Well. So, you, so um, you don't have a lot of say in really who you get to work with. So it's not like you get to interview contractors and be like, mm, not usually, unless it's just yeah. it, unless it's a remodel project. Sometimes if it's, you know, not if it's something we are funding 100 percent, we um, do, then we would get to choose gotcha. um, our, our own mm-hmm. contractors. Um, but still, it's the same same thing. You know, yeah. they look at you and they say, all oh, these these cute little girls, they don't <laughs> you know, they couldn't possibly know what they're, yeah. you know, what they're talking about. Um, uh, but. Usually we do, and we're finally getting to that point where we understand a little bit more about materials and processes. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, a couple a couple Januarys ago, we closed the Scott Street Bakery to do um, some renovations inside the bakery, just because it's been a working bakery for so long, and the the floor company um, was great to work with. However, the guy actually putting in the floor was just typical, you know, oh, you don't know anything, I got you. And and so many things he would do, I would walk over and be like, hey man, like that's not even sealed to the wall. You know, the coving isn't even attached right there. And he'd be like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Or, you know, he'd be like, oh, I'll be right back. I need to go get a part. And I'd say, oh, okay, great. And then he just wouldn't come back. <laughs> and and I would call and call and call. And, and he'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm at this other job. Just don't worry. And, and I'd say, okay, I am worried, though, because we only have so many days we can be closed. And you said you'd do this. So, like, where are you? And, you know, it just, it felt just, it sucked, you yeah. know, to just be like, oh, so because we're a woman, or I'm a woman, you know, and this is a small job for you. You can do whatever you want. And so that was really hard for me. Um, but And it's always hard to say. Like, it's hard to say that that was because, you know, it's a female-owned business. I mean, I I, I hear the, the resistance to that, you know, even as it's being said out loud. But I think that you can't deny if we had a different if we had a different approach to these relationships and we were louder, pushier, more aggressive, things like that, which is not our style, yeah. that that things do get done. Yeah. You know, we've seen it. Yeah. You know. So, um I think that that's something, but that doesn't mean that Jess doesn't stand up for herself or make sure that things get done to her standard. I mean, she's very, very good at calling the um, the boss man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and saying, hey, did you know your guy took a four and a half hour lunch break today? You yeah. know, I mean, she's done that. And yeah. so she knows how you. to you yeah. know navigate that without having to get into an all out brawl, like in the middle of a project. Yeah. You know, they've, that's that's not how we do things and I think that you can still get things done yeah without result yeah you know, resulting to that kind of behavior I think yeah it's just hard for me because it just feels like it's a relationship and I mean I would hope that they would want to work with us again so in that sense you would put your best foot forward and so you know for us all of our wholesale accounts are a relationship it's a two-way street you know and so that part is just a struggle. So what are some other struggles? I know you you have a lot of employees and there's gotta be some challenges around that. And I would love to hear um, just, I mean, challenges, experiences, um, what is it like managing employees? I mean, that's that's like a four hour conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Our, I would say that, you know, and I, I say this all the time and like I, I, I still stick by it that like the employees are the best part of the job and the most challenging part of the job. Yeah. Like they are the reason why I enjoy coming to work every day. And like they're like my relationships with them are what make the job so satisfying and so fulfilling. But yeah, there's I mean, we employ a lot of 20 year olds. <laughs> And and I and that's they're not the only ones that we have problems with, but there's a lot of um, be, like becoming an adult and learning how to be a part, like a really valuable part of the workforce. That's something that we take on a lot mm-hmm. um, because we don't 
easily give up on people as, as you know, more of this conversation is evidenced of, you know, the, those relationships as interpersonal relationships are a huge part of what we feel is an important use of our time um, and our efforts. And so I'd say when it comes to employee, you know, challenges, the most, the most common one is just personal drama that's brought into the workplace or, or just, you know, that just drama brought into the workplace. And we have a lot of, you know, wording in our employee manual and a lot of conversations when we have um, all staff meetings about, about that and about how sort of unnecessary it is in the workplace. Um, things, things arise, you know, like disputes arise and, and we're, and we're very well equipped to help resolve them, but we do a lot of teaching and a lot of training on how to make the workspace a professional workspace, um, and how to, um, kind of resolve some of that, you know, on your own time or outside of the business or how to come to work with a clear head and um, setting some of your personal stuff aside so that you can be valuable to the business and to your coworkers. Mm-hmm. A lot of that. Yeah. And there's and there's a lot of, of that constantly because we have a younger workforce um, mm-hmm. and folks who are still figuring that out for themselves like in their lives. And it's something I'm totally willing to do, um, to take on. like and very practiced at it at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it happens time and time again, you know? Yeah. And um, so I think that one of our number one s- skill sets is uh, actually resolving um, some of that BS that yeah. <laughs> comes up in the workplace. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the other thing that's hard, and it's not just with uh, younger employees, but work ethic, is is really hard to teach yeah. it just really seems like if you have it you have it and if you don't we really struggle to get there with those folks because they represent our business and when when they're not representing it how we feel they should it's really hard to get the progress we need with them mm-hmm. and so that one's hard that one's always a struggle of like man like you don't even think to do that okay how how do i get you to think to see this and do this and if it's not natural sometimes it's just you feel like they're a parent a little bit yeah (laughs) you know it's like oh Oh, man i can't always wipe your surface for you how can you do this and so yeah it's it's hard but it also can be so rewarding when we do have a breakthrough with somebody Mm -hmm. who we thought we just can't get there we can't get there and then oh we're doing it we we found an avenue in and so that one's always like oh yeah we have to celebrate this moment (laughs) yeah and I you know and I come from a teaching background that was my degree in school and so Mm. I I have I you know I think that I have a lot of tools in my toolbox that I that I spent a lot of time teaching my managers about you know how to because everyone learns differently and everyone's bringing a different personality and a different work ethic yeah. to the table um, and like I said we don't give up very easily on people so going back to the drawing board and trying to figure out what works for a particular individual and teaching and working with them and working with them until there's often a point where you say okay is this person like you know I, yes we give up on people eventually you know or just say you know no longer our problem you know like go figure that out somewhere else like because 
you know, I'm willing to put effort into somebody up into a point, but um, they have to be receptive and and you have to see some progress. Yeah, they have to be willing to to meet you. Yeah. At least partway. Maybe not all the way halfway yet, but partway. (laughs) The way that you um, teach and handle employees, was that something that evolved over time or when you opened your first location? And did you have employees at that point or was it just the two of you? Um, well, actually, I opened the first location with a different partner um, and worked and he, uh, he owned the business with me for the first couple of years um, before Jess came around. Oh, OK. Um, we actually met at work. I oh. was her boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, so there's that. But um, the. Right when we opened, we did have a few employees, and I'll remind you, I was 24, and so right. everything, yeah, I had the teaching degree, so I knew in theory about different learning styles and different personalities and things like that, um, but I learned all of those skills the hard way, yeah. absolutely, you know, by making mistakes and by having relationships go south and, and thinking well, was that really necessary? Did I have to lose that relationship over this issue? Um, and that happened time and time again, and it was so rough, you know? Mm-hmm. And every time I learned, I feel like I learned something new and something different. Um, so Jess, when Jess came along, I think that she was actually had a little bit more natural skills in that department, and she also is good at holding her tongue. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not. <laughs> um, so her learning curve was shorter or less steep or however you want to say. Um, yeah. She's she's a little bit more naturally good at navigating those relationships. But Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was younger. And so my mom had to go back to school um, to finish her teaching degree mm-hmm. um, because for a while my dad had her stay at home and raise us. And then when they got divorced, she realized she needed to um, get a job. And so when she went back to school, I ended up cooking for my brother and I because she would get home late. And my brother is two years older and had a lot of authority over me. And so I became, you know, the woman in the kitchen for him and my mom. And I really liked it. And... um, then randomly I would talk to the cabinet as if I was on a cooking show (laughs) and um, (laughs) they would tease me about that Um, and I realized that I really enjoyed it and baking and so I went to culinary school um, to kind of see where that could take me and it was in California and San Francisco and I worked at a couple kitchens and I realized that I loved it but it just wasn't quite what I wanted it to be and um, my mom moved to Oregon um, to work with her sister just to have her own fresh start. And she would go to this bakery that she was really excited about, the Sparrow Bakery. And she would call and say, oh, you know, just move up here. This could be such a cool opportunity for you. And I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> don't tell me what to do. Um, but after a year of her kind of pressing on me, um, I got a call actually from Wit um, one day just kind of saying, hey, 
any chance you'd want to move up here? We have a baking position open and your mom always talks about you and <laughs> what you're doing in culinary school. And, and I said, yeah, sure. What the heck, right? It's an opportunity. And honestly, you know, I wasn't really pursuing the right avenue where I was. And so I did. I, I packed up my car and I moved up and I lived with my mom for a little bit just to kind of get, yeah. you know myself settled and I loved it. I loved baking. It was what I needed. I wanted the stress, but it's different. It's not like a kitchen and there's, you know, people don't throw stuff at you and, you know, mm-hmm. swear at you. Um, and so I felt like I had good adrenaline, but also there's just a different vibe in there. And uh, I just, I stayed quiet and I did my job and I did my best and um, I slowly worked my way up. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So what, the recipes that you were baking at that point, were those one, some of the recipes were from the previous bakery, but then were some also like your your vision too? Yeah. Well, the, the croissant dough recipe is the one that's, uh, is what we're famous for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that's our recipe. Um, and I had um, a background uh, in, in croissants at least a little bit <laughs> because that's a recipe we struggled through, you know, and I actually think that the best recipes are ones that um, you have to really work on to perfect because then you feel really confident um, in, in the product and, and what you want to get out of it. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So the m- majority, the vast majority of the recipes that we were working on in 2008 mm-hmm. to answer your question, when, when Jess showed up, um, our our recipes okay. um, for sure, and and that croissant de recipe in particular, um, that one was one that we wor- have that we continue to work on honestly yeah, um, over the years, and um, and that croissant doughs we're hand folding it, and nobody does that um, anymore or ever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's been like probably a hundred years, probably since, um, someone was commercially hand folding croissant dough. Um, and it, we started doing that because we had 500 square feet and $0 and we couldn't afford a sheeter mm-hmm. and sheeters are pre- take up a pretty good amount of space, even if it's a countertop sheeter and we didn't. And is that like a machine that does the folding for you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it is. And it, it looks like a giant pasta maker. Oh, okay. Like you put the yeah. croissant dough in one end and you, you sort of slowly crank it down, um, until, and, and, um, until it's thin, uh, and well, actually look, I don't even, I don't even know anything uh, about it. Never I've never used, used one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean that's not true. I I've I have worked around one, but um it's not our wheelhouse. And so that's how we started the croissant dough and people didn't totally understand it at first because it has a really different character than croissants that are made with a sheeter. Croissants that are made with a sheeter are, are what we are all totally used to, and particularly in Portland, for example, a larger city, every single croissant you buy that was made at a commercial bakery is going to be made on a sheeter, and it's very crisp, it's very layered, um, it's what you're going to get in Paris. Um, mm, yeah. Ours are different. Um, that hand-folding technique, it makes the, the croissant itself just a little bit doughier, a little bit different, not quite as crisp. Um, 
in that way, although we are still going for um, nice, consistent layering, it's mm-hmm. it's it's much more a labor of love. And surely we have the space and could have afforded a sheeter a long time ago. And when that opportunity did come up, we made a conscious decision to leave that out of the baking program because it's what we're just, it's what we're known for. It's, it's, it's very distinctive and in business being distinctive is a good thing. Yeah. Um, being different from nearly every other bakery. That's, that's, that's a good business decision. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it would really change the character of our products and, and people do like the, our products the way they are, you yeah. know? And so, and it provides a lot more jobs. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, a, we have a lot of people hand-folding croissant dough. Yeah, very strong upper body workout, too, that I think they enjoy, even if they hate <laughs> us in certain moments. <laughs> because I add on more dough. Right. But, yeah, I mean, over the years, we've probably taught... 40, oh, yeah. 45, 50 people how to, how to hand fold croissant dough. That's yeah. amazing. There's that many people out so there cool. in the world yeah. that now do that, you yeah. know, like either professionally or used to do it professionally. So it's, that's just, yeah. that's part of what Sparrow is. Yeah. Yeah. So did the ocean roll arrive early on into the scene then? Oh yeah. Day one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and that whole And that's that, with your croissant dough, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, um, that was actually my a little bit I have to give a little credit to my dad because you know when we were kids we used to go to Rose's um, bakery in Portland mm-hmm. and it's famous Jewish bakery deli and they made these giant cinnamon rolls I mean I'm talking like the size of a dinner plate mm-hmm. and we would buy one and bring it home and cut it up um, and eat it like as a, a whole family um, in bed that was kind of our tradition. My dad said, you have to have something like that. You have to have a famous cinnamon roll. And I was like, well, I mean, like cinnamon rolls been done, you know, like I don't like it has to be something, you know, unique and different. And um, and that and, you know, and my grandmother. So another part of the story is that my grandmother is Finnish and all of her baking recipes have cardamom in them. Mm, It's a Scandinavian, common Scandinavian spice. And so she had recently passed, and that is that's sort of the fusion. Was like we need a famous cinnamon roll type product. Um, you know, maybe it could be a nod to some of our personal history, our personal Finnish history, um, to bring the cardamom into it. Um, and it was a hard sell for a while, and then all of a sudden, people just got into it. Um, people for the longest time they thought the cardamom in the ocean roll was like black pepper um, or we <laughs> yeah, get questions yeah. like ocean roll like is there shrimp in it you know or weird <laughs> things like they thought it was sushi or I don't know you know and it, it was it was just we had to just like stick by it you know and when you bring something entirely new to the scene um, it just it takes a, it takes a while I mean it has the yeah. potential to be famous and to be you know um, a you know a one in a million kind of thing, but you have to like, you have to sell it so hard for so long to (laughs) get there. You know, you have to believe in it, you know, beyond, um, anybody else or anything else. And even um, now, you know, when, when waiter, I jump on the register, somebody new will come in and they'll say, Oh, what's the ocean roll? And the person behind them will explain it to them in depth. And you just stand there like, wow, this is great. (laughs) That's going to be such a cool feeling. Yeah. yeah, It's really cool that they are so proud of it, that they will teach somebody about it for us. And so that's (laughs) been really cool to watch. Mm -hmm. How did the name come about? 
Well, um, so the the name comes from um, one of the first times I had cardamom in a baked good because my grandmother, although she had all these recipes, she was a terrible baker, cook, all that. <laughs> so um, the recipes were there, but she she had never made me some sort of delicious cardamom pastry that I had some sort of memory with. Um, so the first time I had it in a baked good was at a bakery um, on the coast in Manzanita called Bread and Ocean. Mm, okay. And they had a cardamom cinnamon roll. And so that was sort of part of, that was part of the whole creation pro- process was coming across that that cinnamon roll, really enjoying the way it tasted. Um, and it was all during that time when we were trying to come up with that signature product. Mm-hmm. And so the ocean part of the ocean roll is a nod to that bakery um Mm -hmm. and their and their name and their you know their legacy with that product so yep i love that um there just seems to be this common theme with the two of you of consistency and just like showing up every day like you were saying with the bakery and just just having to to basically show up and do the work and wait for that word of mouth to kick in for that first two years Mm -hmm. and then just Standing by your your vision for um, one of your most popular, well-known products now, <laughs> and um, also just sticking with the the relationships that you're working on building. Yeah. Um, I just I don't know. I love that. I just have been. I've noticed that this keeps like coming up for you guys, <laughs> and um, we that's don't. Just I mean, really we don't just sit back. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's and we're yeah. We try, I think that you have to stay really active and you have to stay leaning forward yeah. in your business, especially if you want to make it your whole career. Like yeah. we've watched businesses in Bend go on past a decade and then have that potential to get stale. Yeah. Um, and we can't be that because we're planning on doing this for 25 more years at least. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah. So just even for your sakes, you've got to keep it interesting. Yeah. You <laughs> know, totally. you don't want to be doing the same thing. Yeah. For 25 no, it's years. true. Yeah. And you know, as competition coming um, up recently, it's making us focus on our business again. And so as much as I hate competition, it is, it's making us focus on us and doing better and striving for that consistency and making people choose us again, even though we've been here for 11 years, almost 12, 11. Uh, we're in our 12th year. 12th year. Yeah. yeah, and I I think that something that we get um, accused of fairly often and and I get it um it's 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 common for our generation to kind of look down upon a lot of success for some reason um but we get accused a lot of being you know now we're big you Mm. know now things are ubiquitous you know now we're everywhere and we're everything and you know like um and and people somehow look down upon that um and we um, we very consciously push back against that and say, well, let's prove them wrong. Let's say, let's prove to them that bigger doesn't mean worse or less than, or that we're somehow falling behind um, or not staying cutting edge. We are very purposefully trying not to be trendy. Um, trendy is something that comes and goes. And if yeah. we're gonna do this for 40 straight years, then, Trendy is not something that we need to pursue. Um, classic, excellent, better and better and better. 
that's the plan, yeah. you know, um, and to and also to to be the kind of business that um, deserves that kind of longevity and bend to be. I mean, it is v- definitely a top one, top two goal of ours to be the best place to work in this town mm-hmm. um, for our employees and um, to be the kind of business that that um, stands by those values for our customers and for our employees. That's something we're not going to let up on, you know, for sure, you know, regardless of how big we get. Yeah. And we're going to prove to people that, you know, big and successful is not a bad thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that we can be good for the community. Yeah. We have 70 plus employees, you know, like that's a, we're a significant employer in this town and we want to use that type of power for good. Yeah. I think the amount we pay into payroll is very impressive. <laughs> so since yeah, yeah I do some money, of that money yeah, stuff. Money going back into the Bend economy. Yeah. Feels really good. Yeah. Absolutely. So how often do you add new items to the menu or develop new recipes? You know, uh, pretty rare up until recently. Um, for like back in the day when we'd add a new item we would take a lot of time and care in it to make sure that it was thought out and had a reason to be on the menu or at at least you know the secret menu um because the menu is only so big um and then there's a secret menu yeah oh i didn't know that (laughs) we'll try to tell you what's on it okay (laughs) um and you know Recently, as we have so many employees, they all want a voice and have an idea. And it's yeah. it's hard to have all of them have an idea and put it into place because there's a lot that has to happen before it can actually be sold. And so, you know, we've made some errors and rushed a couple items. Um, but, um, you know, recently what we're trying to do is... Um, have a couple items that are wheat-free or paleo or vegan. Not a lot, but some. So that if a group comes in, everybody can have something mm-hmm. rather than them saying, well, I guess I'll have a salad, you know, because we don't want them to feel like they can't have a good experience there. And so um, our, our newest manager at Scott Street, she is paleo. And so she's really excited to kind of push that avenue with us. And so we have a couple new items that we're really proud of. So, um, but I think, you know, if all of the employees had their way, we, we would have a lot of new <laughs> items right now. Yeah. And it's hard to say no sometimes. Um, but also, you know, we also try to see what is needed in the community and yeah. not just what would be cool. Mm-hmm. I so. think, yeah, I think that the I think the creative process, like allowing for the creative process for our employees gives them better job satisfaction. For sure. Um, yeah. And that's and so we try to um, open up that option as often as we can. However, um, in business, uh, in, as a customer, when I walk into one of my favorite places in town, um, the consistency of the menu is actually really important to me. And I think it's more important to people, to, to most people than, than they really realize, you know, to be able to count on, you know, this item that you've had before and like you always get it, like the fried chicken at work, yeah. you know, yeah. for example, you know, like that's the kind of thing that, you know, I don't ever want to see leave the menu. And so, you know, I think as consumers, we do like new and we do like um, 
creative and cutting edge and things like that but we also really crave consistency and we don't want to see our favorites disappear off of the menu so i guess what that means is just the ever you know adding and adding and adding i think that we have like 48 or 50 odd um products you know um it just goes on and on and so and and you have to keep them all at the same high high level so yeah um Space is kind of an issue, too, because the Scott Street Bakery, we push so much out of there. And with new items, it, it could mean new actual products in the bakery to store for ingredients. And so that one gets hard, too. Yeah. I wanted to get into um, asking you both what it's like to be moms of twins yeah. and working such a demanding yeah. job and having that those visions and those goals to do more and to be... Um, an excellent, you know, bakery yeah. and employer and all of that. That's that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of pressure. And I was curious at how you deal with that duality and and where do those things kind of bump up against each other? That yeah, uh, <laughs> loaded I, question. You know, I, like in a positive way, I I think that um, since uh, since I didn't actually birth them, I thought that I was gonna feel not part of the family in a way and man the moment they came out I just I have so much love for them I never thought I could have and and you know watching went through that process I was so empathetic that I don't think I can have a child you know (laughs) and I mean maybe that'll change but um so in the beginning when we were home with them and and the businesses were going it, it felt really selfish when we were at work. And I think that I probably went too, but for myself, I, I had some guilt when I was at the bakery and not with them because they were so little and so needy. Um, but then at the same time, so were the bakeries. And yeah. so it was hard to be so tired and so low and yet have to be so on for wit and the boys and the business. And, you know, our managers were troopers for us. And, you know, a lot of key employees were were just there for us. And um, that was really special. And, and, you know, now that they're a little bit older, I feel like they're teaching me. I already feel patient and like I'm in the moment, but it's like a next level that they've taught me, you know, like even trying to send a work text, they know, you know, and they just, they want you to put the phone away and you're like, okay, you're right. I'm here. I'm with you. And so in turn, you know, now when I walk in the bakery, I'm prepared for whatever, you know, I mean, it could be a really good experience in there and really good check-ins, or you can walk in and and just every employee needs you and this and that and you just have to fake it too you can't tell them I'm really low right now and this doesn't concern me because of course it does right but um and I I think you know to what I was saying before about um about employees and needing to leave it at the door yeah you have to be the example of that you know and so and and something we teach our managers a lot because some of them are parents and um, and we and we have a lot of employees here and parents, you know, but really anybody, um, you know, to be able to just check everything that's happening at home when you walk in the door because it's not their problem. Mm-hmm. It just isn't, 
and it's not fair to make it their problem. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it can be a little bit of an act. And I think that's okay. You know, like if I need to talk to let them know, like, hey, guys, like I had a tough night with my kids or my kids hate me right now because I'm always at work, which is almost (laughs) always the thing, the thing, Um, you know, I'll say it because I don't I want them to be a part of I want them to know what's going on in my life. But I I I try very hard not to let it affect my work or to affect them or affect my mood. And I often like give myself a, I like, I do a little like pep talk in the car, like right before I open the door. And when I walk in, I'm there for them. And I'm, I'm patting everybody on the back and saying, Hey, how's it going? It's so good to see you. Oh my God. You know, like, and bringing that kind of energy into the workplace. Like we've seen other people do it and we've, and we do it all the time and we know the effect it has on them. And we are real modeling a behavior, you know, a little bit. And, um, and that, um, that's worked really well for us, you yeah. know, I mean, and, you know, and it also, you know, being a, being a work, a full-time working parent, it makes you very, very particular in, um, with how your time is spent, Oh, so um, true. you know, yeah. and scheduling, yeah. being really on it with, you know, scheduling the right meetings, you know, at the right time and being, yeah, and being a little bit selfish with how that time gets spent because it does keep you away from your family. So making sure that you're being as it has made me, oh my God, so much more of an efficient worker. Right. I know? was gonna say the efficiency has gone yeah. like has just gone through yeah. the roof. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. For sure. Yeah. I've had to um I totally relate to what you're saying. Yeah. I've had to kind of walk that line of I've definitely although I do feel like it's a little it, it's a little easier for me because I'm sort of behind this facade of a computer to yeah. a lot of my clients you know mm-hmm. I'm not I don't have to go into a physical space and and have a demeanor about myself mm-hmm. um it's I do so much over email and sometimes phone calls and stuff so um it's a little easier to like fake that for yeah. sure and like they can't see the bags under totally. my eyes you know <laughs> <laughs> but I have started so many emails with I'm sorry, my kid didn't sleep. And then I have to get delete, 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 yeah. delete. They don't need to know that. Like I've told yeah. myself so many times, they don't, they don't need to know that. They yeah. probably don't care. Like God love them, but right. they don't care. Yeah. That's not the answer they're looking for from you right now. What yeah. they're looking for from you is to deliver their project or so to be there for them or whatever. You have and to so, get that from your partner. You yeah, have to get that kind yeah. of support from your partner. Yeah. yeah. Um, or maybe your family, but it's, it's right. Not, it's, They're not the person to like, it's that professionalism you know. thing, you yeah, know, because sure. I think that the world is looking at working mothers and saying, well, like, are you less or are you, or are you equal? And I think that I, I'm sure I speak for everybody at this table when I say like, we are trying to prove that we're equal, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what's going on, um, at home and, and that we can still produce the same amount and that we are still, you know, like very valuable, valuable members of the workforce. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a conundrum, yeah. but, um, yeah. But I also think that there's a balance too, between, um, you know, saying those little giving those little insights into your life um, with your employees, because I I also think that we need more examples of working women and and more, we need to see like how that actually works out sometimes. I know for me, I had a really hard time visualizing how I was gonna have a baby and work at home at the same time. I didn't, I wanted it to work, but I didn't really know what it looked like at all. Because I had no example of that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? And so um, 
I think that there's more examples of that now, but I also think it's important for all kinds of women in different working situations to see how that can play out because I think it gives them an opportunity to say, I want a family someday and I want to own a bakery someday. And how does that work? You know? And so, well, yeah, I mean, as a perfect example that, um, one of the women who works kind of directly under me, she's, she's very young and she's, she's relatively new. She's worked for us for less than a year. She is pregnant and, um, and, I I feel, you know, like I've become a little bit of a mentor to her to say, you know, like, come back to work, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, take your maternity leave and then um, and come back to work. And and she plans to and intends to, you know, for financial reasons and because she really likes the company. And so being an example to her and giving her tidbits and giving her my my daycare provider's phone number and all that kind of stuff and just and just saying come back come back because we're I'm investing in her and teaching her and I don't want to lose that um and I want it for her too you know I mean financially sometimes it's it's a little bit of a wash with paying for daycare etc but I think that what the mother gains even if it's just part-time to have that have a little bit of a world outside of the child um and to continue to grow her career so that she um has something yeah um, exactly on the other side of of that young childhood stage i think it's for i I think it's really valuable yeah Yeah. i do Mm -hmm. yeah we have a lot of respect for stay-at-home moms but we need to work Mm -hmm. we need that balance you know we need the the stimulation of the employees and the customer service in the business but we also need the time with the kids and Mm -hmm. it feels really important to us but then also makes us value stay-at-home moms because it's intense (laughs) yeah I, i mean i know personally like i'm i don't think i'm cut out for it I think I actually have it easier be trying to trying to balance the the work and the parenthood thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that in in my situation, I need my work for me. I, yeah. I mean, I'm I need it for my own self value. It yeah. is it is part of how I value myself. And I think I love you know stay at home moms. My mom was a stay at home mom for many years, and it was great. It was great for us. It was. You know, I don't know. I can't speak to her experience, but she seemed to enjoy it for whatever length of time she did it. Um, but I, I don't think it's for me either. Yeah. I, I just think I would want something more, especially after having worked and invested so much time in my own totally. in my own gig. I know I would just be kind of going like, okay, I need something else, <laughs> and I think that's okay. I yeah. think wherever you are on that spectrum, that's fine. Yeah, you know. Um, okay, I want to switch gears a little bit um, back to the business, and I want to know, are there some kind of common misconceptions or misnomers about um, your business that you guys would like to kind of set right or <laughs> tell us the, the truth about? Well, and so actually, that's kind of what I was a little bit touching on before with the I mean I think that the the most common um, misconception is that we've gotten big and that that is somehow inherently a negative thing right um, and so you know I, I think that uh, do you think that people think um, that you're big and so now you're going to sort of rest on your laurels or like not um, 
or like you don't care as much? Like, is there any? So I think that, yeah, the things that people think that happen um, when a business becomes big are that you maybe rest on your laurels and that the quality would maybe go down, um, that you would become stale and less relevant. Um, And just that whole people people do like to believe in the underdog and do like to believe in the little guy you know and that and and thus you know the the opposite of that is that the big guy um is somehow um trying to like bring the little guy down or like like the tyrant yes we all know what the what the you know the community felt when um when 10 barrel got sold you know, right. for example, yeah. um, and of course that's just, that's a local business, but, um, and how people reacted to that, to a, a larger company buying a smaller company. Um, there's no intention of that with us, but, um, I think that what we are trying to show the community is that, um, is that big can actually be, it can be positive and that the same sort of magic, feeling that they felt when we were small and just at Scott Street and um, that that's that is a feeling and that is a culture that we are very much still actively trying to propagate so Mm -hmm. yeah I think you know not to you know toot our own horn but we do really believe in what we produce and so for us the the many wholesale accounts we have we believe in and it does put us in a lot of places but you know personally we like eating at those places and getting to taste our bread with their meat or you know Mm -hmm. whatever they're using because it just you know we believe in it and we appreciate the accounts who also believe in us yeah um how did those wholesale accounts evolve over time and that's not on the list yeah (laughs) that's okay uh so the the business has always been a wholesale business since day one, but um, we opened our doors in August 2006, and the recession hit, like, so soon after that. Right. I mean, I would say that this town, and, you know, and I think I speak from some pretty legit experience, that this town started to really feel the effects of that recession in 2008. Um, and that's exactly when we were like, started to feel like we were rolling and like things were going great and we finally had this reputation and we did. And the town really stuck with us during that time. We actually started a campaign in 2008 called Make Local Habit because we, because that was back in the day before social media and those grassroots campaigns actually made a difference and we, it was just a bumper sticker campaign, but we wanted to remind people during the recession to continue to choose local businesses Mm. because like the gap was brand new, you know, and target was pretty new and things like that. And, um, we want is still going, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, more or less. I mean, I feel like I've seen that (laughs) sticker and stuff around town. Well, and and the, um, and the, the sentiment is so much more mainstream now. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, back True. then, as weird as it feels to say it, and, and you know, um, it just wasn't, that idea really wasn't mainstream, that idea that you could consciously choose where to spend your money. So anyway, but back to your, to answer your question, at that same time, although we were starting to get really great feedback from the community and really wonderful support from the community, people did have a little less money to spend and so we didn't notice a dip but we didn't 
continue to enjoy like a real steep incline um, in in our financials. And so that is when we started to go out and really aggressively pursue wholesale accounts. Um, mm, yeah. And by 2009, that's when we had our first production facility and started to wholesale bread. Okay. And so 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, that's when particularly Jess was, was just hunting down wholesale accounts and trying to build that part of our business. And so it's the wholesale business um, because we knew that we had a, cu- a cutting edge on both customer service and wholesale and quality of product. Um, and we were lis- will- willing to listen to chefs and say, what do you need? And they say, I need a hoagie roll. And we said, great, let's make a hoagie roll. You know, we weren't such a, a longstanding business and we weren't willing to just make them whatever they wanted so that we could um, continue to grow the business and keep it safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it, the wholesale is consistent money. Whereas retail, we we love and adore them and need them, but it can be inconsistent. Yeah, very and variable. Yeah. yeah. So that felt like a necessary thing in order to pay for payroll and bills and food. But it was a it was a sketchy time. Yeah. I mean, we so so back then. So that so in like 2010, 2011, when we were beginning to come out of the recession. Um, but but restaurants were still just feeling the pinch and you could tell it was still um, a f- majorly affecting the economy. Um, Jess and I, every single week, yeah. we we'd hand delivered invoices to our wholesale accounts so that we could pick up a live check from them mm-hmm. because people weren't paying. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And people would rack up a huge bill and then they just would they just cancel their account and and. I mean, we didn't let that happen more than once or twice yeah. before we were knocking on people's doors and walking into kitchens. We spent an entire day of every single week walking into every kitchen, shaking their hands, listening to them, getting feedback from them to make sure that that we weren't going to lose that account from any customer service standpoint or any product quality standpoint and picking up money. Yeah, we, <laughs> we would wait if we had to. Yeah, so wow. yeah. yeah. Because yeah. we needed it, as did everybody, yeah. you know. Yeah, you do what you got to do yeah. in those times. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but I love that um, strategy of of bringing on those wholesale accounts to give you that base, yeah. like, stability um, mm-hmm. level of income. Yeah. And that's really and it, smart. And it really increases the brand presence. Um, True. Yeah. A lot of people are, are, a lot of restaurants are kind enough to put our brand on their menu um and i think it strengthens their brand as well um but even just just servers verbally you know telling people when they ask where's the bread from you know it's from sparrow bakery um that that made our brand larger even though it didn't even though at the time we still just had that teeny tiny um cafe yeah Um, it's continuing that word of mouth yeah yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure well, this has been a really fun conversation, and um, I think you know we've we've hit on some really great topics, everything from employees to being moms, and um, I've just really enjoyed talking to you both. And I wanted to give you a chance to uh, give some shout outs to your um, social media accounts or your website or your mm-hmm. locations, whatever you want to cool. share. <laughs> Let's see. So the website sparrowbakery.net. Um, all our menus are up there, location addresses and phone numbers for sure. And you can do gift cards online. No gift cards online now. (laughs) Wow. You're here first. Um, (laughs) and then, um, and then, uh, Instagram is, is at Sparrow Bakery 
and um, yeah, hook up with the Instagram account. We um, we try to keep it really um, lively and active with um, photos of both our staff, you know, having a, a great time at work and um, fun stories and videos and a lot of a lot of food porn, you know. Of, <laughs> we love that. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of good um, um, pictures of products, and it's also a fun way to check out some of the new stuff off of the secret menu. Yep. Yeah, give me give me one. What's one secret menu item you can share? Um, so one of them is uh, is uh, well, we kind of started it up at Northwest, but um, a lot of people, as they love the bacon breakfast sandwich, um, need a little bit of a change, and so we. We do sort of uh, an American breakfast, but it's it's two poached eggs, bacon, um, our English muffin, um, and a side of fruit. Mm. And it's just not on the menu, but it kind of hits everything that they need. And then you get your coffee. That sounds good. So yeah. you're calling that like an American breakfast? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And then you know, there's some there's some randoms. Well, that... we have uh, we have some really talented pastry chefs, and they are given a lot of. Um, carte blanche to do um whatever they want they've um they've all been trained by me um i'm kind of the lead pastry chef but a lot of the stuff that's in the cold case and the pastry case um is new and original from week to week from day to day Mm, Um, it will all have kind of a um, french patisserie flair and some of it's very very traditional french um one thing that i'm really proud of that's not on any sort of menu but that we do fairly often is strawberry milfoy mm-hmm. um and that's what is a, that? that yeah that's that's hand-folded puff pastry that we make in-house um that you bake off and caramelize and um and then you make what one of our bakers um, affectionately call strawberry quiche, which is buttercream and slices of strawberries um, and sandwiched between these two layers of puff pastry. Um, and then you slice it so that you see that gorgeous cross section of the strawberry. So it looks beautiful. It's delicious. It's not. It's not original. Um, that of mine. It's that is as classic French yeah. pastry as it as it gets. And it, we do it for every holiday and as often as we can. And we're really proud of that. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, I'm officially hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, you two, and um, appreciate you talking with me today. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you. you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> well, this is going to be episode. 18 and you can find show notes at pickle jar studios slash tough cookie podcast and you can follow us at tough cookie podcast Hi cookies, Darlene here. I just wanted to drop in and say that Tough Cookie values, appreciates, and sees moms in all stages and aspects, whether you're a work-at-home mom, a stay-at-home mom, or some kind of crazy work mom blend, we value and appreciate you. I also wanted to mention a resource. If you are interested in hearing more stories about moms and working and how to make that happen, um, you should check out the book, The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Big Success After Baby by Lauren Smith Brody. I've been reading it and I've really been enjoying it. Thanks a lot for listening. My mom listens to this podcast. I should probably say hi. (laughs) Hi, mom.